Good morning. It's July. It's hot. But you made it. Hey, my name's Chris. If I have not met you, um, I'm one of our pastors on staff, and I'm grateful to, to be a part of this team. It's a lot of fun. You know, our, our lead pastor, J.D., is on a sabbatical right now. If you are here consistently, you're probably tired of us saying that. But if you're new, we just wanted you to know. He's on a sabbatical. He's having a great time. I was actually texting with him this morning. His family's in San Diego right now, enjoying just some time away, enjoying the beach. God's been doing some great things in, in him in this sabbatical season. And I'm so thankful that we are a part of a church that says, hey, Sabbath and sabbatical is in the, the heart of God, so we're going to align with it, and we're going to get behind it, even if it makes things a little clunky at times. Because how many of you know, there's never a good time for a break in life. It feels like, like when you're about to take a vacation, things are always the busiest. And when you get back from a vacation, you realize that things are even busier. So there's never a good time for, for us to take a break. There's never a good time for us to pause. So it's a discipline that we must learn to say, okay, I am not in control. God is in control of my life. And I will surrender and submit to that. And I'm thankful to be a part of a church that says, hey, we're not just going to do that in our lives. We're going to do that as a church. We're going to do that in the, the rhythm of how we operate. It's a rich and wonderful thing. Okay, so we are in Acts chapter 9 today. But before we get there, I want to tell you a story. Because Jordan, our kids pastor, told me this morning that, that Wimbledon's going on. Is that right? Any tennis fans out there? Wimbledon's happening. So let me tell you a tennis story from my life. I did not grow up playing tennis. I grew up playing baseball. The only time as a child that I went onto a tennis court is when we would play home run derby on the tennis court. And it was a blast. But then I met a beautiful woman in college who had grown up playing tennis. And so I had to play tennis. So the first time we go out to play tennis at Baylor University, we're college students. We go out there, and I'm a mildly athletic person, less so now as the older I get. But, you know, I can do things fairly well. So I'm like, I know how to swing a bat. I got this. And that's how I played that first round of tennis, like I was playing baseball. I was just chunking them over the fence, and I was like, man, I am... I am going to get this. And Christy was gracious. She only laughed at me the whole time through it. But I thought, you know what? I can figure this out. It was around the time of probably Wimbledon or one of the other tennis tournaments that went on. Roger, Fedger, Roger Federer was winning all of them anyway, so you just kind of got confused as to which one was actually taking place. So I watched the whole tournament. And I'm like, all right, first round didn't go so well but I've watched it now. And the way I work is that if I can see it in my mind, I can do it. So we went out to play tennis again. And it wasn't much better than the first time. But I was angry this time. The first time, I was laughing, having a good time. Second time, I was mad. Because I was like, hold on, hold on. I have watched this. I, I know how to do this now. Intellectually, you throw it up, 
You hit it. It goes right there. You cheer. You go do it again. But I just couldn't get it. It just kept flying over the fence every single time I tried to hit it. So, naturally, what did we do? We never played tennis again. <laughs> Ever. Because if I couldn't be the best, then there was no point in playing. See, it's funny, but it also illustrates a point that we do in our lives all the time. See, we are very impatient with our growth and often with the growth of others. Why are we so impatient with their growth? Why are we so impatient with our growth? Why is it that we habitually believe that we're not where we should be? That where we are is the wrong place. I should be over here instead. I should be further along the road than I actually am. We live with this nagging feeling that we're behind. You look around people and you're like, man, I'm, I'm behind in life. I'm behind in my career. I'm behind in my relationships. My, my marriage is lagging behind them over there. You know, my kids are, are here and not there. And, you know, I'm just behind in life. We live with this sense that where we are is not where we should be. That we should be further along than we actually are. Why? You know, it's, it's heightened now in culture. We live in this instant gratification kind of culture, this microwave culture. Back in 2013, there was a study done by the, that was reported on by the Boston Globe. And what the Boston Globe found in this story, in, in, in this study in 2013, is that 50% of people would leave a website if it took 10 seconds or more to load. Some of you are like, wow, what? 10 seconds? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the latest figures from Google are that if your website doesn't load in two seconds, if your website loads in two seconds, it's fast. If it loads in three, it's slow. And 54% of people will leave your website if it doesn't load in three seconds. We expect things quick, now, here, happening. And see, the problem with that is it then bleeds into every part of our life. And not only that, it bleeds into how we interact with other people, too. It's how we see them. And it's how we see ourselves. We have lost our ability to enjoy the journey. Because we've got some destination in mind that we should already be at. And we feel like we, since we're not there, we must be missing it. We must be failing. We must be stuck if I'm not there. Because they're there, or it seems like they're there. Their posts show that they're there. What they allowed me to see makes me think that they're there. So, but I'm over here. I must be behind. There must be something wrong with me. There must be something I'm missing. We're going to dive into Acts chapter 9 and 
here's, here's how this morning's going to go. We're going to look at the first 31 verses of Acts 9, which represent in 31 verses, you know, somewhere about 10 years of Paul's life. It's half the chapter. Half of a chapter got a decade of his life. But we read it in a minute and think, wow, I really am behind. And what we're going to do is we're actually, there's two things we're going to do this morning. We're going to read it, and we're going to look at the timeline of Paul's life just to give us some context for what's happening. And I'm going to share some stories about my own journey. This is not to compare myself to Paul. We're very different people. I'm married. <laughs> the whole, honestly, my, guys, my whole point this morning, the whole thing I want you to get is that you would find yourself leaving today being kind to yourself, saying, I'm on a journey. And I'm just going to take the next step in front of me. That you would maybe find yourself saying, I may not be where I want to be or where I think I should be, but thank you, God. I'm not where I, should, not where I deserve to be. Where I deserve to be is in a pit. But where I am is walking with you. God, would you, would you grant us the grace this morning for ourselves to be comfortable walking with you. God, even, even right now, would you give us, give us whether it's a, a picture we see in our minds, whether it's a feeling we get in our bodies, just your presence with us. You walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening in the garden. Would you take us back now in the next 20, 25 minutes that we have together? Would we have that feeling of that experience of you just walking with you in the cool of the evening? You're not sprinting ahead and you're not stopping. We're just going to walk with you in our journey. And it would leave us with a, a great confidence to take our next step with you as we step out of this place today. So we're in this Acts series, and the whole point of this series is that as the people of God, we're learning how the Spirit of God works in and through us to advance His kingdom. As the people of God, we're learning how the Spirit of God is working in and through us to advance His kingdom. And what we're going to learn today is that sometimes how he advances his kingdom is just a slow process that is often unseen and is often unremarkable. It's a day in, day out, walking with Jesus. So let's walk through the whole passage that we're going to be diving into today. And just for some interaction, I love what Ryan did last week. Let's stand. And I'm going to read it. And you don't have to read along. 
You can, out loud at least, because that'll make me distracted. I have a mild form of dyslexia. So if you start reading, I'm just going to start reading the wrong words, and then you're really going to be very confused about what's happening. So I'll read out loud. You just stand there. (laughs) Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all of them, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. All right, here's the second part. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening in a wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. He spoke boldly the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but then they tried to kill him. 
When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him back to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. You can sit down. All right. Let's walk through this for a minute. This is really a couple chunks of the story. First is verses 1 through 19. It's, it's Saul to Paul. It's Paul's conversion kind of story that happens. If we, if we look really close at what happens, is Saul's not actually converted on the road. Saul actually has an encounter with Jesus on the road that needs some help along the way. He needs some, some discipleship to help him get there. See, an encounter is often what we need to push us into that next thing that God has for us. For most of us, we come to Jesus because he encounters us in some way. He, it may be dramatic. It may be very simple. But he encounters us, and we need, and we have this moment of clarity where we understand who Jesus is. In fact, for us to, to truly come to him, we all have to have a moment like Saul does. We all have to have that moment where we see Jesus for who he rightly is. Paul had a wrong idea of who Jesus was. That's why he had collected these letters so that he could go persecute because he thought Jesus was a false teacher. He did not think he was the Messiah. He did not think he was the Son of God. He needed to have a fresh understanding of who Jesus actually was. He needed Jesus to look at him and say, stop doing what you're doing. You're not living according to my ways. For all of us, that's where the journey must begin. It must begin with understanding clearly who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who takes away our sin, who was crucified, died, and resurrected again, who has laid out for us a path of life that if we will just follow, we will experience an abundance of joy, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trial, we will experience peace. We can have chaos going on all around us, but we can walk in a grace that, sur that surpasses all understanding because we understand that we walk with Jesus. We have to confess our sins. Say, yes, I know that what I have done has separated me from you, but Jesus, you have made a way for me. The journey begins there for every one of us. The journey also involves an Ananias for each one of us. Maybe, and it also involves you being an Ananias for somebody else. Not just you experiencing someone ministering to you, but your journey should be the Ananias too, where you listen to what God says and you go respond to what he does to help someone take that next step in their journey. We need, we need an Ananias, and we need to be an Ananias for people. That's part of the journey of walking with people. So we've got this encounter that we have with God, and then we need people 
in our lives. We, we need to belong with people. We need to have people that we, that we walk with that help us take those next steps in our journey. You know, when I was in college, um, bef- before I met Christy, actually, I was not walking with God. I had grown up with, in the church with parents who did their best to try to help me learn how to walk with God, but I just like, I'm not having any of that. Um, I'm going to do my own thing. And I was, I had gone to visit my brother one weekend, and my brother had been for years my running mate. He's still my running mate now. He's like my best friend. He lives down the street from us. But for, for years, we had, we had been running mates together, but not necessarily running towards righteousness, but running towards the world. Running towards partying, alcohol, drugs. We had done that together. And so I go visit him. We live in different cities now, and, and I go visit him for, at college, and he's different. You know, he, he's just a different person. You know, he still lives with the same guys that he's always lived with, and they're partying. And I'm watching them and thinking, okay, this feels normal, but he's not. He's still engaged with people, talking to people, because that's just part of who he is, but he's not there getting drunk. He's not there making crude jokes. And I'm like, okay, something's off. One night goes by, and I observe. I'm like, this is weird. Something's wrong with my brother. Maybe just a weird night. Maybe he didn't feel good. We hang out that day. Next night, another party at his house. Same thing happens. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? So everybody leaves to go somewhere, and we stay behind. And... I look at him and I'm, like, and I'm like, hey, what's the deal? Like, you're, you're not acting like I've always known you to act. What's happening? And he just tells me that that summer he had had an encounter with Jesus. And his life had changed. And, you know, we're brothers, so this was not like a dramatic situation. We're sitting in like his living room that had a ping pong table in it. It's that kind of scenario. This is not like the heavens opened and there was a shining light. But he looked at me and just said, hey, if God can meet me, I know he can meet you. And I'll pray for you. And then he did. And it was not the most glamorous prayer. It lasted probably 10 seconds because it was like midnight and there was there was a party going on that had just ended. So he looked at me and just said, God, I pray that you would meet Chris the same way that he meets me, that you met me. Amen. And then it was awkward because we had never done that before. But you know what happened? The Spirit of God met me. You know, I had done some form of drugs most every day for the last five years leading up to that moment. And I'd never touched them since. Because God met me. And something shifted. And Ananias showed up in my life. And something changed. 
Since that time, I've been able to show up as an Ananias for other people, to minister to them. Now, it didn't happen overnight. That moment marked a a significant change in my life. I went back to where I lived. That was my reminder to do push-ups and planks. (laughs) I feel so tempted right now. All right, I won't do the plank because it's, I have to do it for a minute, but I'll do a couple push-ups, right? There we go. I'll do more later. I'll do more later. I should have totally turned that off. I thought about it yesterday. Gosh. Oh, my gosh, that's funny. You know, look, if we were reading my life we, like we read Paul's life, you would hear me tell that story And you would think, all right, Chris had an encounter with God, got on fire. Next thing you know, he's standing on a stage preaching. Because that's how it reads. Like, no joke, look at it. I just closed it. All right. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God, and people were astonished. Next thing you know, he's off to Jerusalem. He's meeting with the apostles. You're like, all right, cool. That that was quick. All right, let's... Let's actually take a look at what Paul said about that. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Paul writes, For you have heard about my previous way in the life of Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal him, his son to me, that I might preach among his Gentiles, my immediate response was to not consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia, and I later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter. And stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you before the Lord that what I am writing to you is no lie. And then I went to Syria. All right, so let's... The transition from chapter 9, from verse 19 to verse 20, where it says, Saul spent several days in Damascus and then began to preach... And then it jumps to verse 23, and it says, After many days had gone by, a conspiracy developed. Many days was three years. Three years. It's a long time. Imagine you fell asleep on December 31st, 2019. And you woke up on January 1st, 2023. And you said, Chris... Tell me what happened. 
And I said, well, um, the world was kind of weird. And here we are today. You'd be like, wait, that's all that happened? It feels different. You feel different. That, why is this important for us to grasp when we read this? Because we read things like this and we begin to beat ourselves up at times thinking, look at what Paul's life was like. And we don't put it into any context. And we think, why am I not where I should be? You know what Paul did after he left Jerusalem? After people wanted to kill him again? Andy, do we have some of the, the dates? Alright, so I'm just going to walk through some of these dates. AD 33-34, Paul's persecuting the church. AD 34, Paul is converted on the road in Damascus. From 34 to 37, he's in Arabia. 37, he goes back to Damascus, where they try to kill him. And then he goes up to Jerusalem, where he spends those 15 days with Peter. Because people get mad at him there, he has to go to Tarsus, where he's from. The next time we hear about him, is in Acts chapter 11 in A.D. 46. Nine years go by. Nine years. Paul's preaching. He's doing the work. He's living among the, the disciples there in that region. I would venture to say he's He's growing. So Paul's had an encounter, he's belonged to the people, he's served his part, he's growing in God. I, I, would, I would bet Paul had to do some, some pretty deep like inner healing work and forgiveness work of himself. Put yourself in his shoes. Persecuted the church, been the ringleader for killing people that you're now trying to support? Having to wrestle through that, that takes some time. Guys, you've experienced some life. You've taken some knocks. Maybe you've made decisions that caused some scars because of your own doing. Walk with God and don't rush the process. Let Him heal you. So that when he's ready and you're ready, he can release you into something great. From the time Paul was converted till he went on his first missionary journey, it was 15 years. So if you're not where you want to be today, recognize that maybe God's got you in a journey where he's wanting to do some healing in your life right now. Maybe he's wanting to grow you up in some areas. If you need some healing in your life, sign up for Freedom Prayer. Freedom Prayer is a great opportunity for you to, to let God meet you in these places where you've got pain, maybe a, a distorted view of God, maybe there's something that happened in your life. You're, I just want to encounter God in this, in this way. Sign up for it. Use your Tarsus season to let God heal you. Use the season that maybe you feel unseen in to let God minister to you.
let him do a work. Maybe you just need to grow. Sign up for ADS. Do it with people. Sign-ups are happening right now. At least send Lindsay a message and say, I'm interested. I want to grow. I want to take the next step. I may not be where I want to be, but I'm going to enjoy the journey with God as I get to where he's calling me to be. I'm not going to rush the process. I'm going to enjoy the process. I want to find joy and satisfaction in walking with God rather than trying to race to a finish line that's arbitrary and made up by me so that I can meet some need in me that God's not actually calling me to. One more story and then we'll, we'll wrap up. You know, when I was um, in my early 20s, we had just gotten married, uh, I was sitting in the HEB parking lot at like 6 in the morning after having picked up a donut so that I could go to work. And I'm newly married. We don't have any kids yet. And, you know, having one of those moments where I'm just trying to connect with God that he said something profound to me. And he said, Chris, I want you to know that the next 10 years of your life are going to be me training you so that you know how to do what I've called you to do. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I don't really know what that means because right now I work for a wholesale tire manufacturer and I work in the distribution of those tires. I don't know how that's going to help me. Shortly after that, I would take a different job. I'd go into work in healthcare and do that for seven years learning how to lead teams, learning how to run meetings, make sales, interact with people even when I felt nervous. I'm not a natural salesman. That's not my favorite thing to do in the world, but I had to learn how to do it. I had to learn how to deal with rejection. I had to learn how to do all of those things because God had me on a journey of developing some things within me. I had to learn how to work. I had to learn how to really work, how to put in excellent work, I remember the first time that I was working at the healthcare company and I was asked to lead a meeting and give a presentation to the entire executive team, all the C-suite. And I'm like, terrified. I've got 30 minutes, I'm 27 years old, and I've got to lead this meeting. I probably put in 30 hours into that meeting. I don't think I slept all week. I learned how to work. I learned how to do things. God had me on a journey. No one saw it. She did. That's about it. But God was developing things in me. Sure enough, I would find myself 10 years later standing on a stage doing what I'm doing now, leading a church because I, because God had, I had walked faithfully with God. God had prepared me along the way. And here's the deal. I'm not there yet. I may have done some things with God, but he's still leading me on a journey, and I've got to be comfortable in walking that journey with him. 
I'm definitely not where I want to be. I have ridiculous expectations for myself. They're not God's expectations for myself. They're, they're, and he's working on that. You know, when we moved to Austin five years ago, the word of the Lord to me, what he said to me is, this next season of your life is not about what you do. It's about who you become. And every year, I keep coming back to that. And God keeps saying the th- same thing. I'm more concerned about who you're becoming than about what you do. And so he keeps working on things in me. He keeps working on things that, that help me walk out the journey of who I'm made to be. Yeah, I'm not where I want to be, but you know what? I'm enjoying the journey more than ever. I'm learning how to walk with him at a different pace, in a different rhythm. And my prayer for you today is that you would leave this place saying, God, I want to enjoy the journey with you. I want to walk with you where you have me today. Whether you're 10 or 70, whether you've been walking with God for a minute or you've been walking with God for 50 years, that you would say, okay, I want to enjoy the journey with you. I want to walk with you. You know, I want us to just take a moment. We're going to do something a little more contemplative to to close. Why don't you just close your eyes for a minute? We're going we're gonna to go back to that Genesis pa- passage that I prayed earlier. Didn't actually read it, but I prayed it. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they walked with God in the cool of the day. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would activate our holy imaginations and you would take us into that kind of experience. If that's new for you, that's okay. The Holy Spirit created your imagination and he wants to use it to help you experience him. So would you just take us into that place? Whether it's a feeling, whether it's something we see, would we be with you in the cool of the garden? just tell the Lord right now you're, you're glad to be walking with him. Even look around. See the scenery. See the trees. Feel the breeze. question we're going to ask the Lord this morning is do you enjoy the journey with me? So just be there with him and just ask him do you enjoy this journey with me? Feel his smile 
hear his yes. All he's ever wanted to do is walk with you. God, we thank you that we get to walk with you, that we get to do a journey with you. I pray this morning that as we just continue to meet with you, that we'd be able to leave here with a little more patience for ourselves, a little more kindness to ourselves, maybe more patience for others in their journey too. We'd be grateful that we get to walk with you, that we would leave this week with an anticipation and an excitement more for the journey than the destination saying, I want to enjoy walking with you.